0: Welcome to the show. It is Mayor's Monday here on WHMP, and we are so pleased to be able to welcome back to our show the Mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. Garcia. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time. I'd like to ask you, if I might, about the guest column in uh, the weekend's Daily Hampshire Gazette. It was written by the director of public safety solutions, I think that means public relations manager, at ShotSpotter, and the title of the column was ShotSpotter is a life-saving tool needed in Holyoke. Well, I when we spoke, I don't know if remember if it was la- last month or the month before, we, but we had spoken about a ShotSpotter, and you had, with some reservations— uh, said, yes, this is coming to Holyoke on an experimental basis. I think it would be helpful for our listeners if you explained a bit about what ShotSpotter is and what what its status is with regard to being implemented as a program and as a technology in your city. Mr. Mayor, Joshua Garcia, please help us out on this.
1: Oh, thanks, Bill. And, and honestly, I got to say, to my surprise, you know, I was a bit surprised when I saw that article uh, at, at Letter to the editor from the company itself, uh, just so that folks know. Um, although we're looking very much looking forward to implement this system and try it out, um, uh, I, I thought it was a little odd for a company to make a comment uh, one way or another um, in our community, you know, for, for what, what they think we might need. Um, but nevertheless, putting that to the side, uh, for those who are not familiar um, with. Shot Spotter. It's a uh, uh, an electronic system that gets put. They're purchased by square miles, so we're looking at two square miles um, in areas where we'll cover 80 percent of all calls to the police department of uh, gunfire, and so it's 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 um, a a live system more or less, so that that picks up the sound when shots are fired and immediately um, uh, uh, notifies, uh, you know, police officers in the area to respond. Um, we're looking forward to try this system out for two years, um, uh, and, uh, evaluate the available data to see if whether or not it's effective in our community beyond the two years, um, there is, we'd have to sustain the costs every year thereafter. We're using alternative revenue sources outside of appropriation to cover the cost for the first two years, um, uh, it's not cheap, and so I want to make sure that as we go forward using this system, we want to understand if it is ex- effective as what it seems to be. Great, we'll find a way to make it work. Um, but certainly, if if it proves to not be as effective as we thought it was going to be or how it was sold, we wouldn't be, um, uh, you know, sustaining the system. Um, thereafter. So, but yeah, I was a little surprised to see the article from the company uh, themselves to say the least, but um, nevertheless, uh, we are looking forward to get the system up and going. I want to say, I think by January, it should be up
0: and running. Let me ask you this. The uh, system itself, as I understand what you just said, will cover uh, two square miles of downtown Holyoke where 80% 80% of the calls to the police department come from. That's my understanding for the uh, analysis and the justification, the rationale for where the system will be. The system detects sound. It's a, it's, it essentially has a number of microphones in within those two square miles, uh, right. and it detects sounds. Uh, specifically, it tries to detect gunshots and then has a pretty specific location where the sound comes from. So that's what right. ShotSpotter is, is supposed to do. The criticism or one criticism of ShotSpotter is, well, it detects sounds, not gunshots specifically, although obviously it picks up gunshots. It also picks up uh, backfires from police and firecrackers and things like that. And that it has the downside that police respond, uh, well, that's good if it's a gunshot, but police respond If it's not a gunshot, they think it's a gunshot. They're really on high alert. And that sends a uh, police uh, cadre into a neighborhood Mm -hmm. uh, on high alert with a mistaken understanding of what has or hasn't happened, uh, which is the reason why ShotSpotter uh, was uh, deactivated in the city of Chicago, for example. I'm wondering what your thoughts are with regard to that uh, criticism of ShotSpotter. Right. So it it's,
1: it's supposed to be smart technology and the system was supposed to evolve over time to differentiate the, the different sounds. But what, you know, putting that to the side here. Um, the, the concern you can't The politics in, in, in Chicago very much different to what's going on here in the city of Holyoke and Politics over there for the for their police department to always be on high alert, uh, to always feel like they need to go into a neighborhood on high alert is not what happens here in the city. And we do have those conversations internally. I think you know my community has certainly made it known very loud and clear to me, which I very much um, uh, uh, agree with the concern. I, I never want to over police any neighborhood or community. And so discussions internally um, you know as we go forward needs to be that as we respond to these calls that they're no different than us responding to any other uh, gunshot calls <clears throat> that come in that get reported into the police department. Um, as far as uh, uh, fireworks, those get called in too because um, people confuse them for gunshots and police respond. Um, uh, it's just only this time you know for those, that get called in and police are not really you know folks sometimes they don't go necessarily to the exact place because you think you heard it over here, but really it was five blocks over <clears throat> this will allow them to go to exactly where the the, the sound is coming from. Um, uh, but also we need to you know. Make sure that it's on the forefront of our local police department to understand that when they go to these calls, no different than when they go to any other of these sound calls that it's not necessarily high alert over policing, you know, uh, stop and frisk the first person you see or, or whatever the case when you get to the area, but instead to respond and make sure that the area is secured and safe. Um, uh, so that that's, um, I, I know folks like to compare us to Chicago. A lot of times I can say that what's happening here in our city, as far as police relations in our community, this concern is not at all whatever police relationships the city of Chicago has with their community and neighborhoods.
0: I, I'm interested, Mr. Mayor, in how you've set up this program as a basically a two-year experiment paid for yeah. by funds that are not the city's funds. And at the end of that, if the program were to continue, it would have to be paid for with direct city uh, s- funds. So my question for you is... What's the criteria by which yeah. you will judge the success or lack of success of ShotSpotter? And I put that in the context of this. The, the opinion piece, the column in the Daily Hampshire Gazette over the weekend, ShotSpotter is a life-saving tool needed in Holyoke by the company, says, of course, well, it's effective, It's uh, uh, many municipalities <laughs> have it, and it's terrific technology. Not surprising. Uh but I was researching this uh, over the weekend, and I found a study by the John Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Solutions, which said that, in their opinion, looking at 20 years of data or collect- collectively 20 years of data, that it actually did not have, shot spotter did not have an effect or a reduction in firearm violence. So my question is, At the end of two years, you'll know how many calls were generated, two shots, spotter. But how will you determine its effectiveness and how will you evaluate uh, what detriment, if any, uh, because you think there won't be, but what detrimental effects, if any, it has had on the city with regard to the response to those calls? How do you know if it's been good or bad for the city at the end of two years?
1: as far as data and reporting of what's being put out there by the experiences of other communities we're only hearing from those of which there's no there's no one size fits all solution i, I i'm not at all saying that what worked for what didn't work what worked for one community is going to also work for another what didn't we, it's i think it'll be a little irresponsible for us to say because it didn't work here is not going to work over there i think there are different uh, circumstances and situations going on in every community across uh, the United States, depending on a number of factors that might be going on. Um, but you know, you're, you're certainly not going to hear any um, reports to that level um, from those communities where um, it's actually effective. I know the city of Springfield, for as long as they've been using it, and even speaking with some, some, some folks that I know who grew up in like the South end or the North end, or even, um, uh, what's that? Um, oh, I forget the name of the neighborhood already where there were where gun violence and, um, uh, just had declined from what they see dramatically. And they think it's because of two things. Uh, what is it? C3 policing, yeah. which is community policing. And implementation of the Shot Spotter system. Now, um, and that's, I think what, that's those a, are the,
0: the that's the report or the that you received from Springfield.
1: Well, that was that was what they communicated to us when we reached out to them asking for their experiences. And they started small, and the system's expanding and, and sprinkles much much bigger than than Holyoke. So they got a lot of area uh, to cover. Plainfield, the neighborhood of Plainfield, that's the name of the neighborhood. Um, so, you know, we're, we're having discussions to, you know, I have, I do have a police relations advisory committee We are, as we speak, coming up with, um, things that we want to identify the, the data that we want to measure to determine, um, its effectiveness, but off the top of our heads, um, if I was to share anything right now, I, I know two years is a short period to, to notice if what a, a decline of, of, um uh, shots fired or gun violence but um you know looking at if whether or not when they go to a scene if there are any arrests you know that were made because of
0: um the uh, Mr mayor we have question. we have our next guests who unfortunately have not turned off their uh, audio yes. so hang, hang, hang let's let, let take a quick break we're going to come back and talk more with the mayor of Holyoke Joshua Garcia and we also want to talk more about shotspotter I also want to know about housing in the city and how he thinks the new administration is going to affect the city we'll be right back
2: this is Bill Newman WHMP Champagne, sparkling wine, cava, prosecco. If it's bubbly, it's really good. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street.
3: The three main grapes of champagne, If correct me if I'm wrong, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, And Pinot Meunier, although there are a bunch of other ones that nobody really ever uses (laughs) hardly at all.
4: That is 100% correct.
3: A lot of the time they're made with Pinot Noir, which is a red grape, even though it doesn't look very red. Right. Juice is basically the same color, just like we are on the inside. Oh, I like that. Hold the cork, turn the bottle. Don't hold the bottle, try to to wiggle that cork out.
1: Cava is a great value because they make it just the same way that they make champagne. The value's there.
3: And it's from Spain.
1: This is also a way to make something a
3: special occasion, not just for a special occasion
0: something about champagne and sparkling wine in general
3: that gives you that whiff. It's like a fizzy lifting drink.
2: Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits, State Street, Northampton. Sipping and shopping and strolling this Thursday in downtown Amherst. It's a party all over town. Restaurants doing dinner deals. Downtown merchants all aglow. There's a maker's market inside the Drake with a bar. Horse-drawn carriage rides through town. And if you have so much fun it wears you out, which is very likely because that's the kind of fun this is gonna be. Book a room at the Inn on Goldwood for only $99. Sip and shop and stroll. Who's ready to party? This Thursday, five to nine in downtown Amherst.
4: Authorization, enrollment, and activation activities are required. Receive all services. Contact institution for details. Two lattes, please. On me. Yeah? My free Kasasa cash back checking account Surprise me with sweet cash rewards so thoughtful casasa cashback simply appreciates me it also
1: refunds my atm withdrawal fees huh my megabank account just takes money out every month without even
4: asking sounds like it's time to move on take back the special treatment you deserve with casasa cashback ask for casasa by name at Franklin First or online at franklinfirst.org federally insured by ncua some people know how to prepare seafood seafood's
3: delicate you don't want a heavy hand Some people have the touch. Some of those people are in the kitchen at Paul and Elizabeth's Restaurant, where there's a 40-year tradition of preparing seafood. Wisdom passed along through the years. That's why when you have fish and chips at Paul and Elizabeth's, or Faroe Island salmon, or tempura shrimp with that light and lively orange ginger sauce, it's perfect every time. Fresh Seafood, Paul and Elizabeth's, Inside Thorns in downtown Northampton.
2: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
0: We continue our conversation with Joshua Garcia, who is the mayor of Holyoke on this mayor's Monday here on WHMP. uh, WHMP. Mr. Mayor, uh, we were discussing ShotSpotter. There are other topics I want to ask you about. We were talking before the break about what you will use and what the city will use as the criteria for uh, determining whether in, It has been effective, cost effective, useful, helpful, and or whether there have been detriments to the city of Holyoke. Uh, And this will occur in about two years when the city would have to pay out of city funds for this technology. You commented on what the criteria would be for making that evaluation. I'm wondering if you have anything that you wish to add to what you had said before, and I'm wondering if you could tell us what the process would be. Would it have to go to city council? Would be their public hearings? Will we hear about it between now and the end of two years? How is this going to be evaluated across across time? And my, the reason for the question is that uh, we understand what the claims are with regard to the benefit, but there also uh, uh, have been significant uh criticisms of ShotSpotter from other municipalities as well. So tell us about the process of evaluation going forward. So as we
1: were chatting just before we went to break, I was identifying those that we are looking forward to evaluate, and and we're still having discussions on furthering um, our understanding on the different things we want to measure as far as reporting is concerned. But one, um, any arrests, so the number of arrests, of which we actually catch the perpetrator. Oftentimes, when shots are reported, they'll respond to an area. No one's, you know. Sometimes, like I said earlier, police departments, couple blocks over away from where it actually happened. People think they heard it over here, but it actually happened over there. Um, uh, but actually, getting straight to the area and capturing the per, you know, the the the, the person violating or engaging in the gunfire, um, and um, if not necessarily uh, capturing the person, um, then getting to the right area where they might be the witnesses that might have saw something, maybe even um, uh, collect the, the, the shell casings um, that that might be available in the area of, um, of which the, the activity took place. Um, it also, the other thing we're looking forward to um, uh, collect is increased information for or to support any invis- uh, an ongoing investigations that might be taking place because of the, the the activity, and the other thing is life savings. I mean, um, if that minimum, we can save a victim's life um, because we can respond immediately to where a victim might be. You know, we've heard uh, an example from a resident in Springfield that um, uh, that survived uh that was a victim himself and had made the comments that if it wasn't for shot spotter i wouldn't be alive right now uh, sometimes you know let's say gunfire takes place in an alleyway no one calls or reports it person may you know bleed out if within 30 minutes or an hour and if we would have showed up sooner could have saved somebody's life things like that so those are just some of the 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 low-hanging fruit that we can um that we're looking forward to evaluate but we do have a, a active uh, local police relations committee advisory committee where we're having these discussions to try and understand other things that we can uh, evaluate to determine its effectiveness well oh you asked a question about reporting we do you know i'm hoping that we can have some sort of independent evaluator to help us look at this and have an, a very honest and straightforward discussion on the effectiveness. Uh, You know, none of us, not myself, nor anybody in the police department, we don't want to waste money on things that are not going to work. So if the system doesn't work, we're not going to continue to support it. Uh, But certainly if it if it does work to the extent of what we would hope on those specific points that I just shared with you, it's worth every penny.
0: If it works and if it doesn't result in over-policing because one – and then we're going to, uh, onto, uh, we want to move on to other topics. But one study showed that it was uh, considerably less than 30 percent of the time that uh, in one municipality where shot spotter actually ended up resulting in any evidence of a crime being secured by the police who responded. And, of course, it, it results in police being dispatched all the time every time the system said there is a shot or what the system thinks is a shot, and so it has an effect on policing overall. If it doesn't result in some public safety, significant public safety benefit, and it doesn't involve over-policing, then there's a net benefit. But if those other two aspects of this program were to take place over time, then there would be, well, a a net negative, I would think, and that's a matter of importance to the city to be able to evaluate.
1: Here's what I hear from residents when I talk to people downtown where they feel like we don't care. Government doesn't care about their safety and police never shows up. And sometimes they don't even call a shot fired because they think someone's already called it in. Yeah. Uh, Police department because no one's called it and never showed up and then it puts that perception out there that police department doesn't care. Or maybe somebody did hear it called. They sent them in the wrong direction and then someone a block over says police department never shows up. They don't care. Um, That's how our neighborhoods and community are are, and we're talking about a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And uh, quite frankly, and that's where all these, you know, the the fires are, are being reported at least those that are reported. Their safety is just as important if if police is responding. To shots fired in neighborhood, you know, to this comment about over policing, if shots are being fired, police gotta is going needs to respond. Whether without the system, they're not. If, if they're responding to every call, it's going to increase policing. To go, they're responding to the shot. You, you would hope that they respond to those shots fired, every single one of them, not just a few, not just the ones that they they think might be or maybe not or whatever. We want them to go. And evaluate and investigate the area. Now, to the concern, what I don't want to see happen in my community, and my chief knows this very clearly. I don't need any our police officers going into a neighborhood, being overly aggressive, approaching people in the commute, things of that nature. Our police department doesn't even do that right now. Um, We have a very, you know, and and. Just coming in here from what I get to experience from the inside from the outside looking in is one perspective, but when you are in the inside and you get to ask the questions and you're in the information you look at data and you're looking at. We have a very You know, proactive bottom up police department, um, than what people might might think comparatively to what the narrative is nationwide. Uh, but it doesn't dismiss the fact that it can happen and we need to be very mindful and careful when we go into our neighborhoods to make sure that we're not um, acting over aggressive when all we're doing is responding to a call as we should be and evaluating the circumstances and then responding to the circumstance. Um, so that that that's the fine line that we need to be very mindful of and be careful of and, and the chief and the police department know very clear that um, that's not anything that this administration will ever tolerate.
0: Mr. Mayor, thank you for that in-depth discussion of uh, ShotSpotter. I really appreciate it. I'd like to turn to a couple of other topics in the few minutes we do have left. One is that there was a meeting, got a lot of uh, publicity of uh, the East-West Rail Commission. It was out in Pittsfield on Friday. And I'm wondering yeah. whether rail is having or you anticipate rail either north-south and the F- Valley Flyer or east-west as being proposed. Uh, you anticipate that having a significant impact on your city.
1: You know, the rail is just another piece to the greater puzzle here, Bill. Um, I could tell you because of what's happening just with the housing situation alone in Massachusetts, and it's pretty significant what's going on throughout the Commonwealth when it comes to housing, it's getting expensive. And uh, you have East-West rail, if it does happen, the folks out in Boston is going to see that it's a lot more economical and, and um, to live out West and if they can get to, you know, if we can somehow balance that population where folks can live in Western mass and work in Boston and all they got to do is jump on a train. Yeah. I can see some, some uh, benefit here to our city and the, and, and, you know, we're sort of kind of, you know, working toward building that foundation to support that when it comes. Um, But, you know, Um, You know, I'm great that those before me, um, folks like Tim Brennan, uh, you know, God rest his soul from the Pioneer Valley Planning Commission, who's been uh, advocating for rail for 40 years of his career, um, that people like him who have gotten us to where we are today, just laying down the foundation um, and, you know, in preparation for what's going to be happening um, very soon, um, so uh, the the greater conversation uh, really is around the housing bubble and what's that doing to communities everywhere, and how that's going to potentially how transportation equitable and 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 uh, uh, adequate transportation systems is going to benefit Western Mass as people keep moving here or migrating here. Um, Although our values and our costs are climbing here, it's still relatively affordable to what's happening in larger cities. And not just the affordability, our access to resources, um, uh, you know, the landscape that we have out here, the open space, you know, Western Mass regions are becoming much more desirable places to live. Um, uh, but the jobs are going to be in those larger cities. And so having that adequate transportation network to get to places like Boston places like New York, you know, um, is is definitely going to be a contributing factor for, you know, the greater uh, ecosystem that we're trying to build here in Western Massachusetts and in Holyoke.
0: And do you see Holyoke as being able to develop the housing that would allow people and entice people to move to the city and be able to Uh, either commute or commute occasionally depending if they have a sort of a hybrid job some days you have to report to work some days you can report at home that sort of thing do you see holyoke developing housing in that way
1: well that's the interesting thing so well straightforward answer yes um actually we have some on the pipeline um there is like there's a property on dwight street for example well before i get into those pipeline projects the the need in holyoke uh, the discussion today for many years we've always focused on low-income affordable housing um and today we're talking about now trying to attract private or market rate housing um uh, there isn't to your point you know hasn't been enough um uh, opportunity in holyoke for those that want market rate lifestyle and um, so there has been a push um, in discussions here within our city, with our legislatures, and with other folks to try to attract more uh, opportunity, housing options, particularly around market rate. Uh, we do have a project um, at 712, 714 Dwight Street, um, uh, private local developer, non-subsidized rehab, rehab, use no tax credits, all uh, market rate. Um, there's another um, uh, project, Cubit, with 18 market rate rentals, uh, and the owners, they are looking at an additional development called Canal Rose, of over 30 more units uh, and additional commercial space. Again, market rate. Um, new owners on multiple High Street properties looking to bring additional housing, um, not just additional housing, but housing back to High Street uh, and react. That are reactive currently and underutilized or abandoned storefronts um, that they're that are currently, you know, getting in preparation for um, uh, construction, uh, fixing up and getting them to a good quality state. Um, and then we're also working with Mass Development and the Transformative Development Initiative. The acronyms are TDI to ensure that these opportunities for new housing and and business development are open to our local community and. To help support the current businesses and housing downtown currently so there is some interest um, uh, projects again in the pipeline market rate um, that we're slowly but surely cultivating in what we're calling the greater ecosystem within our municipal boundaries housing is you know a large spectrum of it from low threshold uh, to low income to transitional affordable to market rate to home ownership And uh, I would say that, you know, we're hitting each of these points, not to the extent of what we'd love to, because as you're probably aware, you know, uh, costs, construction costs are climbing construction costs, specifically for current projects right now are being reported back to us from the developers. They've increased about 30%. So that certainly is a concern and we're trying to figure out how to help navigate that. Um, But uh, to your question, Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think we just heard that uh, Jess has a nephew that's currently moved into the city. So we we see a lot of that. People coming Jess. from other communities into Holyoke um, for various reasons. So um, I do see it happening, Bill.
0: I appreciate that, Mr. Mayor. Jess, Jess is Jess Tyler, who is running the board this morning and is producing the show for us. Mayor Joshua Garcia of Holyoke, On this Mayor's Monday, thank you so much for your time, your insight, your expertise, and your perspective. We really appreciate it, Mr. Mayor. Appreciate your time every month. Thank you so very, very much.
1: Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Jess.
2: Get in on the conversation. Call 413-586-7140. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The East Hampton Fire Department received multiple 911 calls Sunday morning regarding a fire on Mechanic Street at Ed's Auto Body and Repair. When fire crews arrived, they could see the flames coming from both bay doors. The fire was right off Union Street near the Manhattan Rail Trail. At one point, the electrical service lines fell on the nearest hydrant, making that hydrant unusable for a portion of the fire. The East Hampton Fire Department said the gas line fed the fire and helped spread through the building. State Rep. Natalie Blay says Massachusetts residents still waiting for broadband connection can expect it by the end of next year. Earlier this month, Asheville residents celebrated their newly established broadband connection as several other towns in Western Mass make their way toward the same goal. We
5: have been able to connect the majority of the 53 last mile towns in western Massachusetts.
2: The project began under Governor Baker's administration in 2016. To date, the Last Mile project has invested more than $57 million to connect about 26,000 homes to high-speed internet. New development could be coming to East Hampton. Sierra Vista Commons, a mixed-use residential and commercial center, would be located at the former Tasty Top site on Route 10 if the proposal is approved. The $26 to $30 million complex would include a Roots Learning Center and gym, 10 three-story apartment buildings, two restaurants, and three mixed-use retail office buildings. The application for the proposal was submitted by Tasty Top LLC, which is registered to Frank DeMarinis of Westfield, according to the Gazette. The Planning Board's first public hearing on the proposal will be held on Tuesday, December 20th.
4: For today, clouds this morning, then sunshine this afternoon, highs 36 to 40. Tonight, mostly clear and cold, 12 to 16. And the outlook for Tuesday, mostly sunny, highs in the upper 30s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
2: This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
6: Yo soy Johan con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. A menos de tres días después de que los demócratas celebraran la victoria en la contienda final del Senado de las elecciones intermedias de 2022, los desafíos que enfrenta el partido de cara a la próxima campaña se hicieron evidentes. La decisión de la senadora Kristen Cinema de Arizona de abandonar el Partido Demócrata el viernes, planteó la perspectiva de una tumultuosa y costosa contienda tripartita en uno de los estados políticamente más competitivos de Estados Unidos, y generó preguntas difíciles sobre si los demócratas podrían apoyar financiera y política, Políticamente, a Cinema sobre su propia nominación si decide buscar la reelección en 2024 y se considera que tiene la mejor oportunidad de mantener el puesto fuera de las manos del Partido Republicano. En última instancia, la medida de Cinema fue un recordatorio aleccionador de que si bien los demócratas ganaron una mayoría absoluta en el Senado la semana pasada, su control sobre la Cámara sigue siendo tenue, lo que otorga a los miembros individuales una influencia notable sobre la agenda del Congreso. En otras informaciones, la Biblioteca Pública de Holyoke estará ofreciendo una clínica de vacunación de COVID-19 este lunes 12 de diciembre en el Salón Comunitario. Las vacunas que se ofrecerán son las de Moderna, Novavax y Pfizer e incluyen los refuerzos bivalentes recientes. Esta es una oportunidad para que aquellas personas que no se hayan vacunado aún o que no hayan recibido los refuerzos puedan hacerlo y estar protegidos durante la temporada de invierno en la que se ha visto un incremento de casos positivos de la variante Omicron de COVID-19 en Massachusetts. Las vacunas son gratuitas. No se requiere identificación ni seguro de salud para vacunarse y están disponibles para todas las personas en edades de seis meses en adelante. Yo soy Johan Rashe Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
2: This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
6: This is Bill
2: Newman, WHMP.
0: And this is our Black in the Valley segment with our co hosts, Professor Carly Tartakov and the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith Crooks. I know that you, Carly, in particular, have been very focused on voter suppression in the last election and wanted to share your thoughts about that. I have this observation with regard to Georgia, and I would appreciate your response. Uh, Georgia had passed a voter suppression bill, which engendered long lines, uh, fewer drop boxes, fewer days of early voting, only four weeks between the general election and the runoff, and uh, despite that, the people of Georgia and very significant, the black community, the African-American community in Georgia, refused to be intimidated And in significant measure, overcame those obstacles that were imposed by the new voter suppression law that was passed in Georgia. And I'm wondering whether you think this is cause for celebration in the sense that, well, voters overcame the suppression efforts that were made by the government. Or whether you say, well, we were lucky this time because we, people who believe in democracy, were lucky this time because the... Republican candidate Herschel Walker was just such a horrifyingly awful candidate that he lost by a very small amount. Um, Or whether you say, well, this glass really is half full and the voter suppression efforts failed and democracy won. What's your perspective?
5: Well, as a Georgian, one from Macon, Georgia. Okay, hang on hang
0: one else. sec. This, this, this is the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Cooks, who is, in fact, from Georgia originally, and is now, yes, of course, yes. a resident of Amherst. Jacqueline.
5: Uh, and, and we might have somebody else, too, who is mo- modern-day uh, attorney Imani McFarley might be with us as well. We're trying to negotiate this technology. But in the meantime, it took me back to... Uh, the 1960s, when we some of the same tactics, they were somewhat different, but the same end was sought. Um, I think that when people feel that they have not had their agenda met, they are not going to stop, even though they had to pause uh, in this case, and 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 they were the bill that they had instituted or implemented was Bill 202 and it was introduced by Georgia's Republican led state governing body in March of 2021. It was framed as an election integrity bill and uh, the names change from one generation to the next, but the tactics are the same and the tactics are to make sure make sure that what appears to be happening which is to have have legitimate voting take place doesn't take place
0: let let me ask Um, let me ask you this because
5: we we uh, do have imani has joined us
0: this is imani robinson are you are you with us she is with us um hello hi Imani. thank you
5: for
7: coming No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jacqueline,
5: why don't you introduce her?
7: Um,
5: This is Imani McFarley, attorney uh, McFarley. She's a relational voter turnout consultant with Community Change Action. She's been with this organization since September, but previously she'd worked with the um, Southern University chapter of NAACP the Baton Rouge Community Police Ambassadors Program, and the Democratic National Committee. And getting a a whole different perspective than the one I had brought to the circle uh, some years, based on on experience that I received some years ago, uh, she will have much to bring to the circle.
0: So, Counselor, can you give us your perspective on what happened in the Georgia election? Is this a victory for democracy or is it just an escaping a horrible result by the skin of our teeth uh, and that the voter suppression efforts actually worked? They just didn't work well enough for those who would suppress uh, the African-American vote. What's your perspective?
7: So just a heads up, um I haven't been licensed. I I have graduated from law school, but I'm I'm not a licensed practicing attorney. Just a heads up because I don't want to <laughs> I try not to uh, blur lines, but um my my opinion would be that I I feel like we have uh we we we've come quite a bit. We've come a, We've we've come a, a quite a bit a long way. Uh, I would say um especially with this this election, even though we were cutting it so close, especially with the um the reading of the the legislation that almost stunted people or voters being able to vote early. But right in the nick of time, we were able to um, you know, that was a win for democracy, and people were able to early vote that Saturday and have more days and more time to get to the polls granted there is like you know still so much voter suppression in Georgia um, especially this past election uh, or this past runoff in general um, as, as far as like not being able to just as little it well I won't say as little because in the grand scheme of things it is it's bigger but just not being able to um, even give food or water at the polls to like just the reading of the legislation and and trying to say that people could not vote a few days. I mean, people could not early vote uh, within a reasonable time. Um, You know, those were, that's just some of the things that people did to try to suppress the vote. But I think that because there is more knowledge out there as well regarding um, voter suppression tactics, um, that we were better able to combat voter suppression within this election. So, Um, it's still, it's still out there in mass, but I do feel like we're improving mostly because the people are more knowledgeable and aware and, um, ready to advocate for themselves. (laughs) But we did, we, I I do feel like we, we did, we made it happen. So
0: do you have some sense of whether the voter suppression worked for, uh, the Republican candidate Herschel Walker? I mean, he didn't, he did, he lost fine. But whether or not he was advantaged because voter suppression actually worked to suppress votes, that the lack of early voting, for example, or the lack of mail-in voting, uh, the f- uh, much fewer number of uh, drop-off spots for ballots uh, and the other other uh, voter suppression parts of this bill that you've mentioned, do you have some sense whether they work notwithstanding all these efforts and that the margin for uh, Raphael Warnock would have been larger, but for these voter suppression efforts?
7: I do feel like the margin, uh, the margin for the win would have been larger for Warnock, if not for the um, suppression efforts granted. um, But overall, I think, I think that the suppression tactics, a lot of them did. um, I, I do feel like they, they helped Walker a little bit just because Um, people just when I mentioned like not being able to um, well, the changing of the changing of polls and stuff like that that's why you have to have a plan and that's why I said that I think that so so many more people are knowledgeable now so that helped out having a voter plan just because they were purging people um, from the from the voter rolls Um, and they do I I believe they tried some last minute change ups of like polling sites but that's why it's really important just by the way, for people to know where they are supposed to be voting, knowing (laughs) knowing whether or not they are uh, registered, you know, just checking consistently. I think that some people were um, a little shooken up. I I talked to some people just on uh, November 8th uh, who were unsure of their polling place. Um, And so that was a thing. But again, I just think that I guess for us at least for our efforts and and many people I know just having that education, telling people to go to the website to check, that helped out. It it could have it could have been larger, but once once the law, you know, once they ruled and said, you know, that we could vote in Georgia on um that weekend, I think that that pretty much is, you know, that's pretty much why why Warnock won honestly. If that would have if that voter suppression tactic would have went through, then Walker probably would have won. Um Right. and that's why the margins were so like slim too just cuz, you know, some people probably were thinking that even though it went cuz it went through so it it worked out like a few days before the actual actually before Saturday before people could actually vote so i think some people were st- probably still a little like unaware that okay we actually can early vote but once the numbers once you know most people a decent amount actually cuz i will not say most cuz it was about 50-50 really at this point um but a decent amount of people realized that okay we could do this early vote on Saturday and they went and they got out. And once those numbers came in, we pretty much knew that um, Warnock would win. But, you know, it'd be tight. I was I was still, you know, sweating myself, but we knew it would be tight. But we knew that he was going to win at that point. We're going to have to take um, a
0: quick break here. We're going to be right back more with Black in the Valley and voter suppression right after this.
2: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
4: When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Buy a mattress online? There are at least a hundred websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than pixels to know what it actually feels like? Maybe you could just lay on the screen and hi, it's Robin from Talon furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon, not temperpedic. not trying to mislead you. Come to Talon Furniture and lay down on a therapeutic. I'll leave you alone. You can see how you are together. Therapeutic mattresses are clean. No toxic off-gassing. I've been to the factory in Brockton. Yes, they're made by fellow Red Sox fans. You like eating local, try sleeping local. Talon delivers and sets it up. We don't just drop a big burrito on your doorstep. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. Talon Furniture, a real store, just down the hill from Amherst College.
3: Most of us participate in sports like the weekly golf game, tennis match, trail run, or ski outing. Whether you're a high school collegiate or professional athlete or weekend warrior, the same rules apply. Follow an exercise regimen that will help you build a strong foundation and prevent injury in the first place. I'm Dr. Connor Ziegler, sports medicine specialist and board certified orthopedic surgeon at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. Sports medicine is my passion, and my surgical specialty involves arthroscopic and open procedures of the shoulder, elbow, hip, and knee. One of the most common injuries I treat are anterior cruciate ligament, or ACL tears, which typically occur from non-contact twisting injuries in a variety of sports. Not infrequently, ACL tears occur with injury to other structures as well. At New England Orthopedic Surgeons, we offer comprehensive management of your condition, no matter the severity. But if you find that you've experienced an injury, my surgical team is dedicated to providing outstanding care to help you recover and get you back in the game. For more information, visit neortho.com.
2: co-op. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
0: We continue our Black in the Valley segment with our segment hosts, the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks and Professor Carly Tartikoff with their very special guest today, Imani Robinson-McFarley, who is the Relational Voter Turnout Consultant for Community Change Action, which is a Washington, D.C.-based voter rights organization that, of course, has a presence throughout the country. Let me turn the microphone back over to the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks. Jacqueline.
5: Yes. Yes. Thank you, Bill. Um, Imani, I'm I'm just curious as to what some of the voter suppression tactics and strategies were that
7: you encountered
0: in Georgia in this last election.
7: Yes. Hi. Yes. In um, Georgia in this last election, some of the voter suppression tactics would be um, some changing some of the voting sites uh, that people were initially assuming that they would be voting at um even honestly voter id laws and stuff like that that is that um empowers voter suppression just because you know everybody doesn't have an id everybody doesn't have the means to get an id um or even an uh, address um not allowing people to uh, sell or, you know, give away food at the polls, and we know that the oh man, the lines were very long, um, in Georgia, so that's like voter intimidation because like you can really do time for that. Like they can arrest you for that. Bless you. So that was um, a voter suppression tactic, um, and just like as far as the runoff went, the legislation uh, almost you know, went through saying that people could not vote that Saturday. Can I early vote that Saturday before um, the runoff? So those were some and of the tactics.
5: What What was special about that Saturday? That was the southern holiday, was it not?
7: Yeah, that Saturday, it, it's like a really old holiday that nobody really, um, not a lot of people celebrate anymore. And they even the ones who do celebrate it really, you know, shouldn't. Oh. Um, it was for the General Robert E. Lee, um, and it was like, it's an old holiday, so it's like two days after a holiday, you're not supposed to be able to, um, you know, host hold voting, but then there was another part in the law that said that early voting should be held as soon as possible, so it kind of contradicted, ooh, it contradicted what they were saying about um, not, not getting out to the polls. It's like this, we need more time, first of all, for the people to be able to get their early voting in that Saturday might be the only time that they're available considering people work, you we know. have 20
4: seconds. No, left. we don't.
0: We're going to have to run. I'm sorry. We have to leave it there, yeah. but we want to thank you all. Leave Reverend me. Dr. Jacqueline yes. Smith Crooks, Professor Kari Tartikoff and Imani Robinson McFarley from Community Change Action. We thank you all so very much and congratulations on the win in Georgia.
5: Yes. Definitely. Yeah, you did a good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Grow
3: you. Food Northampton helps you make the local food system better. This is Michael skillcorn Director of Programs. You can join us by shopping at Northampton Tuesday Market, getting a plot at our community garden in Florence, buying a farm share at Crimson & Clover or Sawmill Herb Farm. You can volunteer with us in our giving garden or participate in our neighborhood markets that bring the local food movement to underserved communities in Northampton. Get involved and support our work at GrowFoodNorthampton.com e hablamos español. Pregunte por Michael.
4: Pets and people, they belong together.
5: They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Bacon Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Vacant's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them to make a gift visit talk
4: L- for Northampton and the Valley since 1950 WHMP Northampton WHMQ Greenfield a Northampton radio group station it